Well, again, here we are at the end of the, of the year 2017. And one of the things that I want to ask you to just reflect on is that this past year may have been for you a, a year of many accomplishments. It may have been a year where you left things undone that you were hoping to get done. I hope and I pray that it's been a year of spiritual growth for you. I think one of the great ways that we as the people of God can evaluate the years gone by is to ask ourselves the question, have I grown spiritually? Has my embrace of Jesus Christ on a real personal level, has it been deepened? Yes, has my mind been more informed, but really, has my soul and its expression and its love for Jesus Christ been made more firm? And I hope that's been the case for each and every one of you. We will also see that uh, by way of uh, the end of the year that we're being introduced to an idea here that I want to set before you. And that's at the end of the year, 2017, to ask you to consider your former sins. I have to admit, I struggled with this as I was preparing during the week. And I was asking myself the question, is it right to bring upon the consciences of God's people the duty or this or the request for them to consider past sins? Is there something out of place? Is there something out of order? And in one sense, if I were only asking you to consider past sins, it may be out of place. But in this passage of scripture, we see that not only does the psalmist consider past sins, he engages God at that level and asks God not to remember those sins against him. The psalmist is remembering those sins, but he's asking God not to remember those sins against them. We're going to take a look at that. We're also going to see in this passage of scripture, and this is why I think it's appropriate for us to consider a passage like this on this final day of 2017. Because what we're seeing here is that the psalmist is also imploring God for his mercy. And I think that this is something very, very important for us to see. Because we find the psalmist in a time of divine chastening. He is under the rod of God, as it were. Jerusalem is in heaps. Blood is shed on its streets. Dead men lie in its streets, unburied, uncared for. It was a devastating time for the people of Judah. But yet, in the middle of judgment, what does the psalmist do? He cries out for God's mercy. Now, there's something instructive in this. Because maybe in the past year or maybe in the coming year, you may sense yourself under divine chastening. Your sins may come upon you in such a way as to require God to chasten. But what I want you to learn from this passage of Scripture, no matter where you may be, It is always appropriate and it's always right to cry out for the mercy of God, even under divine chastening. If God is chastening you, he has not forsaken you. If God's hand is upon you by way of chastening, it can be upon you by way of restoration. And And this is what we learn from this passage of Scripture. So that in any time and in every time, it's right and proper. Let me read what I, what I have here. In Psalm 79, God's people are experiencing the reality of God's chastening hand upon them for their sins. And as the psalmist recounts their sins, he also calls upon the mercy of God to be with them. Now this is a great lesson. Do not let your sins keep you from returning to God. Sometimes in our shame, we feel as though we cannot go back to God. Against the God against whom we've sinned, the Savior whom we've offended, we fall into this very wicked way of thinking that God will have nothing to do with me after my sins and failures. 
And I want to bring you to a passage of scripture that will help you, that, that will hopefully dissuade you from that type of thinking. It's in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And Micah says these very famous words, wonderful words. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Psalm 136, because his mercy endures forever. His loving kindness is always there. Verse 19 of Micah chapter 7. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. And listen, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And so what I want you to see here is this, is that even when you might find yourself in a time where God's hand is upon you by way of discipline and chastening, still call out for the mercy of God. It's right. It's proper. God's ear is open to that. And this is what we learn in this passage of Scripture. God will not forsake you even in your sin. Such is not the case, nor is it the case that we should not cry out for the mercy of God even while under His chastening hand. For God is merciful and compassionate and He is always eager and ready to hear His repentant child call out for mercy, for, call out for the mercy of His Heavenly Father. So whatever this past year may have been, I hope it's been a time of great spiritual advancement for you. I hope it's been a time of great blessing. I hope 2017 you can look back and say it was a time in which your soul was revived. But that might, be, that might not be the case. But what I want to say to you, if, as your pastor, what I want to say to you, if that's not been the case, if you've seen in this past year things that you regret times of sin. I want you to hear this passage of Scripture and I want you to see and understand that there is great mercy offered in this passage of Scripture. And so what I want to do uh, from the passage is I want to take a look, as I said before, verses 8 and 9 under three particular points. Number one, I want you to see from this passage that if we know ourselves and, uh, if we know ourselves and our sins, we will confess those sins. And that's what I want to ask you to do, to be honest with yourself, to engage with God honestly, to not present the front to God that's not true. God sees. And so again, what God calls us to do is to repent our sins and confess them before God. Secondly, if we know our God, we will request His mercy. I think this is one of the great things about knowing God. You see, to have a dim view of God is never a good thing. To have a small view of God is never a good thing. But to see God as the God who delights in mercy. Now again, I, 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 make, I make no qualms about saying this. Even to individuals who, who, like myself, struggle with sin. Why do I make no qualms about saying this? Because I know that the truly repentant and the truly converted person will love the mercy of God and will not abuse the mercy of God. You see, I don't want to fall into the false trap of holding back the mercy of God from you, thinking you'll abuse the mercy of God. You'll not abuse it. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll not abuse this mercy. You'll allow that mercy to, for, to transform you and to make you into the very person that God is calling you to be. Here again, Micah 7. He will subdue our iniquities. Oh, Christ the conqueror comes forth and he subdues, the, he subdues the sins of his people. Aren't you glad for that? And so again, I'm not afraid to set these things before you. And then the third thing I want you to see from this passage of scripture is that if we know God's ways, his ways of mercy, we will desire that his glory be seen in that mercy by way of our own embrace of it and by way of our proclamation of it. So these are the things that I want to set before you here this, uh, this morning. 
The first thing that I want you to see again, let's take a look now specifically at verses 8 and 9. And the psalmist says as follows, Oh, remember not against me, excuse me, Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. And what I want you to see here is this, is the psalmist is here speaking in a time of divine chastening. And we saw that in verses 1 and following. What a picture is given in Psalm 79, verses 1 through 5. It is a picture of a terrible time for the people of Judah. And what the psalmist is recognizing is the fact and the reality of divine judgment has come upon them because of their sin. As a matter of fact, we can take a look here. Look again, verse 1. O God, the heathen are come into thy inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled, and they have laid Jerusalem on heaps. Now again, there is a historical precedent for this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we read the following. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of Jehovah, and the treasuries of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar sacking Jerusalem. And verse 19, and they burnt the house of God and they break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the good, all the goodly vessels thereof. What a sight that must have been. The place where God had visited his people, the place where God had showed his glory, the place where God had ordained to put his name in ashes. Oh, it must have been not only uh, 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 an emotionally uh, uh, moving thing to see in a negative way. Spiritually, it must, have just, it must have just drained the people to see the very place where God had promised to put his name in ashes. What a horrible thing it must have been. I think of other times in the, in the history of the temple. Oh, what a glorious history it had. There was Solomon at the, uh, at the dedication of the temple. That's a wonderful thing to see. When all the preparations are made according to the will of God revealed. When the, when the people of God go about doing those things that God has ordained. God is pleased to come down and visit. And he visits in a, in a, in a glorious way. You remember there, and I believe it's uh, second, uh, uh, second, uh, uh, second Samuel, I believe. Uh, and, or, uh, and I forget not having the, forgive me for not having the cross reference uh, at the top of my head. But the, but the glory of God comes down. And so the temple had these glorious times. But there were sad times in the history of the temple as well. Oh, there was, there was King Ahaziah. Remember, we read a few weeks ago on our Sunday evening service, this wicked King Ahaziah, what, what, I'm sorry, Ahaz, what was he doing? He was bringing into the temple the whole false forms of worship. It was a sad thing to see. In the very presence of God, idolatry. In the very temple of God, idolatry. And it was those very sins they were now bringing the people to this situation. There was Jerusalem now in heaps. There were bodies in the streets. Again, what a sad, sad thing. And what we're seeing here, as I said before, are the effects of sin. And in this case, it is the effect of national sin. Now, what's interesting here is this, is when the psalmist says, Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. I have to admit that it was that little phrase, remember not against us former iniquities, that led me to this passage of scripture as a year-ending sermon. Because I thought to myself, what a wonderful way to, to reflect upon the past year, to ask God not to remember my former iniquities. Because I think of my former iniquities. I think of my failures. And to go to God in prayer and say, oh Lord God, remember not these sins. What's interesting though is that contextually in the passage, the former iniquities are literally the iniquities of previous generations. It is the iniquities of the past generation 
having present consequences on the present generation. And what we're seeing here is this. This is one of those manifestations in the Word of God where national sins accumulate and bring national judgment. This is a reality that we see through and through the Word of God. We see it in regard to the people of God, national judgments coming, but we even see it in regard to what we would call heathen nations, unconverted nations, nations who know not God. There is a sense in which nations, as nations, as they stand before God, have moral accountability. And when nations, as nations, fail to measure up even to the basic standards of of common human decency, God will judge. And so again, it reminds us that the day and age in which we live is, is, is really no different than the day and age in which we read in the scripture, in the, on the pages of Scripture. And if there were national judgments then, I'll put it in the form of a question. Are there national judgments now? There most certainly are. And so here is the psalmist. He is lamenting again this great, this great, great uh, disaster that has come upon Jerusalem. Oh, Again, remember not our former iniquities. But what's interesting here is this, is that the psalmist is not just looking backwards and say, hey, it's, it's the fault of our parents and our grandparents and all of them. They're the ones that have brought us into this situation. No true man or woman of God prays that way. No true man or woman of God looks to somebody else to see, again, it's their fault, not our fault. Listen to Isaiah pray. What does he say? He says, I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so again, the people, the psalmist here identifies with the reality of national sins. And let me say this. One of the things in which the psalmist is saying, remember not against us the former iniquities. For God not to remember not against us the former iniquities, we must make sure that we are not participating in the former iniquities. That's one of the difficulties about living in a society that we kind of find ourselves in. It's easy to fall into national sins without recognizing them as sins. This is where the word of God becomes our guide. This is where the word of God becomes our light. And so again, what the psalmist is praying for, that God would not remember these, these former iniquities. But it's interesting because he doesn't stop there. Notice what he says here, not only in verse 8, but look at verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us, now notice this, and purge away our sins. So he's not only seeing the sins of the past, he's seeing present sins as well. And so what he is calling upon God to do is again to be merciful, not to remember former sins, okay, but now also to purge present sins. We're going to take a look at that shortly by way of the extension of what that means by way of of God's mercy. But what I want you to see is this, is that present sins as well as previous sins or past sins have consequences as well that you see in verse 9 there. Notice once again what we have here. Uh, Purge away our sin, uh, I'm sorry, um, Look at verse. Uh, look at verse eight. Oh, remember not against us are the former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies uh, speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Both past and present sins have consequences. There is this lowness that we're brought into that we see by way of our sin. And so again, may God give us grace. And so this is what the this is what the uh, this is what the um, psalmist is is referring to here. 
Now, as I said before, if you take a look at the at the former iniquities or the sins of the past, again, we have very clear places in Scripture where this is all delineated. If you were to turn back to Second Kings uh, chapter 17, Second Kings chapter 17, verses 18 through 23, you're going to see the sins that brought the northern kingdom into captivity. Second Kings chapter 17 verses 18 through 23. And listen to what we see here. Second Kings chapter 17 verses 18 through 23. And again, I'll, I'm reading from the King James. We read the following. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they had made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, and Jeroboam drave drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin." So here we see the, 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 the reason for the situation uh, that Israel was in. But also not only 2 Kings 17, but 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36, here we have the recounting of the sins, not of the northern kingdom of Israel, but now of the southern kingdom of Judah. And in 2 Kings, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 14 uh, through 16, we read the following. Second Chronicles 36. And again, these are the sins that brought Judah into the time of judgment. Moreover, all the chief priests and all, and all the people transgressed very much after the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Verse 16, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. That brings us to Psalm 79. It's an amazing thing to see. It's a sad thing to see. Notice again what what, what we have here. Here um, uh, Here in, in verse 14, The people had followed the abominations of the heathen. Now listen. And polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. It must have been a sight in the eyes of God to see his holy place defiled. Do you think it must have been something for a holy man to see the temple in ashes? What must it have been for God to see his temple defiled? And when there was a defiling of the temple, the destruction of the temple came next. You see the consequences here. And notice again that what we see here, what what were the sins of the people of Judah? Well, they followed basically the sins of the heathen. We would put it like this in our day. There was no difference between the world and the church. The sins of the world were the sins of the church and vice versa. Notice what else we see here. Verse 16. They mocked the messengers of God. They despised his word, word and, and misused his, misuse his prophets. It's the same thing that we see in our day. Where the word of God is treated very, uh, very lowly in, in a lowly manner. 
And so again, these were the things that brought this sin on Israel. And when the, and when the psalmist cries out, he's looking back on the past and he's saying, Oh Lord God, remember not our former iniquities against us. And I'm saying to you, whatever your former iniquities are in 2017, you can pray this prayer. Do you understand that there would have been every reason for the psalmist to say we're completely forsaken of God? Here we are not only in a strange land, but when we look back to the land that God had given to us, our, the, the, the temple was in ashes. What is left? There is no spiritual structure in place anymore. All, all hope is gone. But the psalmist doesn't go there, does he? He has great hope in God. And what I want to say to you is this. Here is a man who knew his sins. He knew the sins of his nation. And he knew his own sins. And in light of that, he cried out for God to be merciful. And that tells me this, that this man not only knew his sins, this man knew his God as well. And that's how I want you to come into 2018. I want you to know the very God who you profess, the God who you worship in Jesus Christ, the God who promises to be merciful to you. And that's what God promises to be. He promises to be merciful to his people. And that's exactly what we see here. Notice again, verses 8 and 9. Oh, remember not against us our, the former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us. Here is the psalmist crying out for these mercies. Look at verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation. For the glory of thy name's sake, deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Notice again here what we see the psalmist doing. He is crying out. He is pressing God for this great mercy. And the mercy is really taking place in a number of ways, a number of categories, we might say. And the first way in which we see this category of mercy is in the phrase we've already considered, the request of God not to remember former iniquities against us. That's a mercy. That's a mercy. You know why it's a mercy? Because God, in and of himself, cannot forget anything. God's not absent-minded. God doesn't lose things. God doesn't forget about things. But when he chooses not to forget, what does it mean? It means that he chooses not to bring to mind that which he knows is there. He allows it not to be presented as evidence in the court, we might say. You see, there is God, very gracious to his people, remembering not past iniquities. Oh, what a mercy it is. But the second thing that we see here by way of the mercy is found here in verse 9. Notice what he says. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us. Again, there's his mercy. But notice this, and purge away our sins. And what the psalmist now is asking is this. He is applying all the classic language of sacrifice, purge, make atonement for, cover our sins. Here is the psalmist crying out that their sins may be buried in the depths of the sea of the blood of Christ, we might say. One writer that I was uh, uh, using to prepare for this, he said it like this, wonderful way. He said it like this. He says, as the Egyptians were cast into the Red Sea, so all of our sins are cast into the Red Sea of Christ's blood, never to be seen no more. Oh, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the psalmist knows his God in that way? Aren't you glad that you can know God in that way? Aren't you glad that whenever your past sins testify against you, the mercy of God is there? Oh, God, remember not past iniquities. And not only remember them not, but purge them. Rather than seeing my iniquities, I'll see the blood of Jesus Christ. And so again, the wonderful mercy that we see here. And the idea here now is this, is that we have this emphasis on God's mercy shown to us in not remembering our sins against us. 
Now again, what's interesting is that the, the idea of God not remembering our sins against us is, is something of a repeated prayer uh, in, in the scripture. Uh, Psalm 25 verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth. Uh, 1 Kings 17 verse 18, and she said unto Elijah, again the woman, uh, she, when, when her son dies, uh, she's thinking that her past sins are being visited upon her. She says this, and she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? Art thou come unto me to bring my sin into remembrance and to slay my son you see this idea of bringing sin into remembrance has all the thought of the past iniquities having present consequences and the cry of the people of God is that God might be merciful and not letting that happen Isaiah 64 Isaiah 64 verse 9 be not wroth or very sorrow Jehovah neither remember iniquity forever behold look we beseech thee we are thy people and this, this is going to be a very important theme that's going to be developed here shortly. That the people of God, when they cry out for God not to remember their sin, what they are doing, they are basing that upon the covenant faithfulness of God. Oh God, you have brought us and you have made us your people. You have purchased us with great price. Oh Lord God, let not my sins testify against me. Rather than seeing my sins, see the purchase price that was paid for me. See the blood of Christ. The same thing, Hosea chapter 8, verse 13. As for the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but Jehovah accepteth them not. Now he will remember their iniquity. You see, when God remembers the iniquity, what's he doing is he is bringing to bear all the weight of past sins. And so the prayer of the people of God is that that would not be their case. And so again, the idea here is this repeated prayer that God would not remember our sins against us. And again, it is a great mercy <clears throat> excuse me, for God not to remember our sins. But the other thing that we see here by way of, a, of God's great mercy is, like I said before, not only him not remembering our sins, but in, a, in, a, in another sense, and maybe even in a deeper and a greater sense, God purging those sins and God cleansing those sins from us. And that's again what the psalmist cries out. Purge away our sins. As I said before, this is, this is all the theological language that we're used to by way of atonement, uh, by way of uh, ransom being uh, paid, by way of blood being shed in order that our sins might be forgiven. And so what the, the psalmist is doing then is he is calling upon God and his mercy. Did you see how his mercy was defined or explained here in this passage of scripture? Look here again at verse 8. Oh, remember not against us the former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies. What a wonderful way to think of the mercies of God. His tender mercies. Well, let me say this. If the prayer to remember not is a repeated prayer in the scripture, the concept of God's tender mercies is a repeated theme in the book of Psalms. We see that expression probably about 10 times in the book of Psalms. And what happens is that the tender mercies of God are kind of directed toward a number of categories. Let me point some of these out to you. The first thing that we see by way of the tender mercies of God is that they are directed toward the preserving of the soul. Psalm 40, verse 11, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, and let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. There is God's tender mercy preserving the soul of his people. 
In Psalm 51, David calls upon uh, the tender mercies of God in his great confession. And he says this in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out, same idea as purge, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 69, the tender mercies of God are used as the basis for prayer. Psalm 69, verse 16. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Hear me. Turn unto me. That's the language of prayer. And so when you go to God in prayer, you have behind you and under you the tender mercies of God. I know we go to prayer sometimes thinking, God has no right. Why, why would God even listen to my request? Why would he listen to me over and over again who have sinned against him? But oh, there's his tender mercies. And so again, on the basis of God's tender mercies, hear me, O God. We also see not only the preservation of the soul, but the preservation of life. Psalm 119, verse 77. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I might live. For my law is thy delight. The revival of spirit, Psalm 19, 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me. That's the language of revival. Quicken me according to thy judgments. And the tender mercies of God in one sense are a crown over all of his works. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good unto all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. You know what's a wonderful thing to see here? As we look at these ideas of God's tender mercy, a couple things to be noticed. Did you notice how that the concept of, of God's um, of tender mercies and his loving kindness are joined together? Again, uh, we didn't read this verse, but we can read it and we'll see how these are brought together. Psalm 26, Psalm 25, 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness. Again, the same thing in, 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 Psalm, uh, in Psalm 40. Withhold not thy tender mercies, let thy loving kindness. Psalm 51, it was the same thing. According to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies. Aren't you glad that God's mercy is always a tender mercy? Aren't you glad that God's kindness is always a loving kindness? And that's what the psalmist is looking to. Yes, he and, his, he and the people of God are under divine chastisement. But that doesn't stop him from remember, remembering who God is. And that's what I'm saying to you at the end of 2017. No matter what your past sins are. I'm not saying this to, to, to call you or me to, 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 to a, a lackadaisical spirit about sin. I'm not saying that at all. But I know how sin beats down the people of God. I know how sin oftentimes presses us down. I know oftentimes we don't even want to go to prayer. How many times have you not come to church because of your sin? I hate to say it, but you know that it's true. And what I'm saying to you this morning is this. You remember not your sins. You remember the tender mercies of God. And let the tender mercies of God bring you to the house of God. And I want you to see that even in this coming year. Oh, I thank God that in this past year I've seen the same faces over and over. I've seen new faces. I thank God for that. Keep coming, brothers and sisters. Let not your sins keep you away. Let your sins drive you to the cross of Jesus Christ every time. Don't fall into that way of thinking that somehow Satan will take you one time back. Well, excuse me. Satan will take you back one time more than God would ever take you back. God is always there with open arms to his people. And don't fall into that false way of thinking as to think and to listen to Satan and say, oh, God will never take you back. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. And you go back to your Savior. And you go back to your Savior and you say to Satan, you see, he took me back again. Don't use it as an excuse for sin, though. Use it for an occasion to glorify God. 
Oh, thy loving kindnesses. Let thy loving kindnesses come. And you see, one of the things that we have to deal with in this whole thing, and I have to admit, it's been, it was something of a, I, I was questioning as to how to, whether or not this was even an appropriate passage of Scripture for the end of the year. Why? Because the, the, the very phrase, remember not our sins against us, well, we know in the Word of God that God promises over and over again not to remember our sins. And so is this a question, a valid question? Is my asking you or maybe spurring you on to think back on 2017 and ask about past sins, is it even right for me as a pastor to do that? Because the scriptures say that God will forget our sins. So is it right and proper? Well, let me say this. I, I, think, I think that it is. We, it has to be explained, but I think that it is. And the first thing that, that I want you to see and just be aware of is just to remember, number one, be aware, of number one, of how often God promises not to remember our sins against us. So this is the, the conundrum, so to speak. God promises not to remember our sins. The psalmist is here praying, remember not my sins. Is it valid for a preacher today to say to a congregation, oh, as you remember your sins of the past year, don't forget the mercies of God. So let me set a number of things before you here. Number one, I want you to appreciate what the psalmist is doing here. The psalmist, number one, is not in any way doubting the power, the goodness, the grace, or the mercy of God. He's able to go to God, and he's able to make this prayer based on the reality that God has promised not to remember sins. And this is one of the keys to praying, if I can put it to you this way. I wish I was some great prayer warrior and had some great kind of insight to give you. I can, I can give, but I can give you greater insight than my own. I can give you the insight from the Scripture. And here's one of the insights from the Scripture that we see. It's always right and proper to pray the very promises of Scripture. So that when God promises not to remember our sins, it's not wrong to say, Oh Lord God, remember not my sins. This Isn't this the case with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Oh Lord Jesus, come quickly. Why are you praying? Didn't Jesus promise that he was going to come? Yes, he promised that he was going to come. That doesn't stop me from praying that he will come now. And it's the same thing here. God has promised not to remember our sins. Is it right for me to ask God not to remember my sins? Yes, because on the basis of the word of God, it's a confidence that we have. Well, listen to these passages then. Wonderful passages. So, excuse me, Isaiah 38, verse 17. Behold, for peace I had bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. What a wonderful way to think. What a wonderful reality to have. What a wonderful way to close out the past year and go into the new year. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Psalm 85, verse 2. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered their, all their sin. Jeremiah 34, 31, verse 34. Again, the great new covenant blessing. In one sense, this passage of Scripture becomes the structural basis for all the covenant blessings that we have in Christ. But listen to the passage. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Jehovah, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith Jehovah, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. We already read the passage of Scripture in Micah chapter 7, verse 19. Thou will cast all their sins into the depth of of the sea. So is this question valid? Is it excuse me, is this request valid? Is it is it a valid request for the people of God to say remember not my not my sins against me? Well, I think it is. As I said before, first because it's always right to pray 
for what God has promised to do. But secondly, what I want you to see is this, is that this prayer reflects our attitude toward our sins, not so much God's promises in light of them. Now, God promises not to remember our sins against us. But there is a particular attitude which comes before God in humble repentance, understanding and never forgetting what we are by nature. Thank God for what you are by grace. Thank God for the blessings that you have by grace. Thank God that there is no remembrance of past sins by grace. But do not forget what you are by nature. And oh, by the way, life has a very, very real way of causing us not to forget what we are by nature. Just look back at 2017. But in light of 2017, you can pray. In light of 2017, you can pray. Remember not my sins against me. How we thank God. How we thank God for that. So again, what I want you to see, when we know ourselves, we are confessing our sin. When we know our God, we are seeking his mercy. But thirdly, when we know his ways, we are desiring his glory. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Notice what we have here. Again, listen to it again to verses 8 and 9. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Now, verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. When it's all said and done, what does the psalmist desire? He desires to see the glory of God. And by the way, again, God is glorified in the forgiving of the sins of his people. That's why we said last week, remember when we, when we had our, our, our Christmas message, and we said that uh, we, we, we spoke about the, the surprise, the wonder, and the glory of Christmas. And you remember what we said about the glory of Christmas? Every time that Jesus Christ is presented as a present Savior, every time that Jesus Christ is presented as a personal Savior, every time that Jesus Christ is presented as a powerful Savior, the angels say, glory to God in the highest. God is glorified in the highest in the forgiving of His people's sins. Thank God. Thank God that God's glory is bound up in your salvation. Thank God that God's glory is bound up in your good. You see, and this is what the psalmist is crying for. This is what the psalmist is longing for. Again, uh, uh, for the glory of thy name's sake, uh, for, the, for the glory of thy name, for the glory of thy name's sake. Verse 10, wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? And what the psalmist is desiring is essentially this, that God's glory be seen in the manifestation of forgiveness to his people. Now, as I said before, it's an amazing thing to think that this is how God is glorified in bringing his people into salvation. You know, we've all heard that, that expression, right? No man left behind. Well, in a sense, this, is, this mirrors something about God's purposes. God is leaving no saint left behind. God is leaving none of his people unsaved. God is not going into eternity having longing for one that was lost. God will most certainly and effectively save his people. That's what we're seeing in this passage of scripture. And he's doing it, by the way, for the glory of his name. Nobody will ever say to God in eternity, what about the one that got away? Seriously. What about the one that didn't make it? They're not going to say that to God. The things that will not be said about God in eternity. Another thing that will be said that will never be said about God in eternity. He, he failed in one of his promises. No, he did not. And so again, we see this is the desire of the psalmist. That God's name be exalted and God's name be glorified. For God's people to fail to come to final salvation would be a reproach to God. That's the thing that the psalmist is, 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 is banking on. 
Oh Lord God, if 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 I don't come to the salvation that you've provided for me, what will your enemies say? We read about that language in the Old Testament, don't we? In dealing with the people of Israel. Moses saying, oh, if you leave them here in the wilderness, what will their enemies say? And so again, the desire for the fame of God is bound up in the salvation of his people. So the glory of God's name has at its root, in this, in, in this case, the covenant that the Father made with the Son to secure a people for himself. This is amazing. Because what we see here in this, in, in this passage of Scripture, or the thought that's included in this passage of Scripture, I guess just to say, should say is essentially this, that God made a covenant promise with His Son to save a certain people. And those people will not be left outside of the enjoyment of the blessing of salvation. If they would, God would have failed in a covenant promise that He made between the Father and the Son. And that covenant that the Father and the Son makes is not merely a covenant of parties in agreement. It's that. But it's a covenant that was purchased. You've heard me say this before. Christ bled for you. I want to press that on your thinking. Did the Father and the Son in eternity again agree compact together to save a people? They most certainly did. But there was more. You see, the father had to spare not his only son. The son had to take up the sins of his people. The son had to be mocked cruelly on the cross and die. He had to bear the weight of your sin and my sin. The father had to see his son laid in the grave. But that wasn't the end of it, was it? Because the father said, I will vindicate everything my son said. I will vindicate every action that he undertook. And I will raise him from the dead. We talk about our notary publics putting the seal. God says, I will put the seal of heaven on the work of Jesus Christ and I will raise him from the dead. Romans chapter 1, declared to be the Son of God through the resurrection. And see, that's what's happening here. And because of that, again, on the basis of that, the people of God, again, come to this final salvation. Again, it's all in the language of the new covenant. Mark chapter 14, verse 24, And he said unto them, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The specific blessing of this covenant is that our sins will not be remembered against us. Look how it's developed in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. I'm sorry, 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none of them his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's in the covenant that God made. And so again, while I ask the question, is it even right for a preacher to to, to press upon his people the idea of remembering past sins so long as we do it in light of the covenant promises that are made? Oh yes, there I was on that day in 2017. And there I was on that day in 2017. But thank God for the mercy of God. The purchased blood of Jesus Christ. And so again, this idea. And listen, as I said before, how one man puts all this, how one man treats all this. He says this, God's discharge of our sins shall be a full discharge. Such sinners shall never be called into account for them. Both the guilt and the punishment of them shall be fully and everlastingly removed. 
Let the sins of of, of a believer be what they will for nature and never so many for number. They shall all be blotted out. They shall never be mentioned anymore. This is how this man finishes up. He says this about our past sins. He says, God will never hit them in the teeth with their sins. He will never cast their weaknesses into into their dish. What a way of speaking. My sins never cast into my teeth. You get the th- you, you see the picture there. And so this is the great this is the great blessing that we can enter 2018 with. This is the great promise that we can close out 2017 with. In the Heidelberg Catechism, some of you might be familiar with it. The the 56th question asks this uh, uh, it runs as follows. The question reads the following. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is given, that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins and corrupt nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long, but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. And so again, we see this great promise that is made. So I ask one more time, How then can we make use of this psalm on the last day of 2017? Should I refuse to remember my sins since God remembers them no more? Is this a question that a Christian should never ask or pray? Or I want to read from another man, Andrew Murray. Some of you might be familiar with him. And he says the following. And puts it in the form of a prayer. May the Lord God convince me anew of my sin. May he work in me true repentance, true, true repentance so that I may remember my sinfulness with a contrite heart. O Lord, my God, I desire this evening to remember, to confess, and to cast away every sin that still cleaves to me. I would think with loathing on myself and deep aversion of my nature from God and would forever renounce all confidence in myself and all satisfaction with myself. Lord God, let thy Holy Spirit so work in me and spiritually so renew me that all sin shall become more and more hateful and intolerable, and that in like manner, through the spiritual acknowledgement of my own corrupt nature, I may meet with thee in a more humble and tender spirit. May a sweet, blessed lowliness of mine be the fruit of a rich indwelling of thy spirit within my heart. What's he saying here? Well, you see, brothers and sisters, the remembrance of past iniquities ought to humble us before God. But the realization of present mercies ought to give us great confidence before God. So as you close out 2017, do it with humility of heart. As you enter 2018, do it with great confidence in this God who will never cast your sins into your teeth. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, how we thank you that we can close out this year on such a, with such a message from heaven. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is true and always applicable to our situation. And we ask and we pray, Lord God, that we would never forget the nature that we have that caused our Lord Jesus Christ to pay such a dear price. But also, Lord God, help us never to forget what he purchased with that price. He purchased a full and free pardon of sins, those sins which shall never be remembered against us, those sins which are cast into the Red Sea of His blood, those sins which are never 
to be mentioned again, how we thank you for that, Father. Grant to us that this would lead us to true humility of heart, not to a carelessness of soul, but to a true, genuine desire to walk holily before you in a way that pleases you and gives glory to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.